Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Man, I got to tell you, uh, Tim and I have both just woken up. Except for Tim, it's morning. <laughs> and for me, it's from a nap. Uh, it is 11.42 uh, on Wednesday evening. Tim, it's, I believe, 7.42 where you are in Bahrain. Um, you've just spent an entire day at the track, which, by the way, is most people's dream on most weekends anyway. Uh, but this one, you're actually watching uh, You're actually watching real cars go around a real track. Formula One 2024 is real. And I think everybody wants to know, like, what were your takeaways? What did we see out there? So day one uh, just ended and it, it was pretty cool, Adam. I mean, I got to go trackside, which was uh, was pretty awesome. Not a lot of people, you know, get get to do that in their uh, you know lifetime. So it was it was really cool, man. Like, yeah, I, I sent you some pictures, but like I was like, you know, this far away from like you know, a Red Bull coming straight at me. <laughs> I was in pit lane and um, got to watch pit stops and stuff, but uh, there, there is nothing really holding you back. So you can really get in front of the teams. And uh, I think I, I, uh, I kind of jumped out of the way of George Russell at one point when he was coming in for a pit stop, because I didn't think he was going to be able to slow the car down <laughs> in time. So that was uh, interesting. <laughs> they but slow down quickly. I <laughs> Oh man, the unbelievable Adam. Like, uh, you know, I've been trackside before many times, but this one was, uh, really close because in testing, there's not a ton of restrictions like there, there is during a race weekend. Um, but, uh, you know, from first, from first glimpses at everything, and it was just day one and it is just testing, but man, the RB20 looks incredible. It looks amazing. Um, yeah. And- I mean, so it did set the fastest time today. Um, and I think everybody's like, okay, great. Uh, what do I have to look forward to? But what I thought was interesting, and I'm, gonna, I'm just pulling this up from my Twitter account because I did, uh, I did tweet it here, um, was that when you look at the final times throughout the, the testing today, as much as it's testing and as much as everybody's like, take it with a grain of salt, here's what I see, okay? I see Oracle Red Bull Racing. I see McLaren F1. I see Scuderia Ferrari. I see Visa Cash App RB F1 team. I see BWT Alpine F1 team. And I see Aston Martin. Um, Those are six different teams at the top six in terms of time. And the drivers, uh, obviously Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz, Daniel Ricciardo, Pierre Gasly, and Lance Stroll. And, And again, like, listen, we, 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 we get it. It's, it's, it's preseason testing. They're, they're trying a bunch of things. 
Max did an insane amount of laps, 172 laps or whatever he did was, that's a crazy amount on the body, but you can tell he's trying to get conditioned. Um, I think that's pretty good for the sport. Don't you? Yeah, for sure, man. Like I think a couple, a couple things, you know, watching, um, some of the performance runs, cause we didn't really get to see like push quality laps on, on the soft compound tire. We didn't really get to see those performance runs. We were, you know, we were watching a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, medium tire push laps, cars, fat with fuel. Um, I, I would say the two cars that stood to me the most obviously was, was RB20, uh, but also McLaren and that when Lando Norris was driving in the evening session. So in the evening session, it's kind of like when the track is the grippiest and, uh, it's, it's the fastest at that point. And Lando looked really solid. Like that car looked really, really good. And I know they had a little bit of trouble with the floor and underneath the car, um, in the PM session when Lando was trying to get going. So he missed some track time at the beginning of his day one session. Uh, but as he kept going, I mean, the, it, the car looks on rails. It's able to do a few different things that a couple of the other cars just can't do. Uh, and that, again, that's just, you know, from track side, which is, which is actually, you learn a lot and you see a lot. Um, but the other car that really impressed me was, uh, AMR 24. So the Aston Martin, when Lance was out in it, uh, in the evening, uh, that car, I, I don't think it's anywhere near its potential just yet. And I think, uh, at the team itself, they were very happy with how their entire, uh, day went. Um, the other one, like you said, the V carb is, is interesting to see them that high up, but Daniel Ricardo did. It was funny, Adam. I was I was um, part of the session when I was standing there uh, watching. It, it was it, it was um, uh, it was really really cool to see you know Lando Norris and and uh, and, and Daniel Ricardo because they were just going back and forth on the track. So it was like really impressive. Well, I'll be honest, Tim. I think the thing that that I was as a McLaren fan, uh, as a completely biased McLaren fan, the thing I was worried about the most was, you know, whether or not the upgrades that we saw last year were a mirage or where they were the real thing, right? Because, you know, I still have a little bit of PTSD from them starting last year and finishing in the first four or five Grand Prix right at the back, like being worse than Haas, really, really bad, worse than AlphaTauri was last year. So it looks like, I mean, Oscar put in some good times, Lando put in some good times. You feel like, there's some good grip. It's it's good in the straight line. It's good on a corner. Like what what are you what are you seeing from that car specifically? And I'm just selfishly asking you because I love them. <laughs> uh, it looked good all, all over, Adam. I would say it looked good in slow speed. It looked good on uh, corner exit from slow speed, which is one of one of their issues from last season. Um, and I would say they've definitely made an improvement there. And then high speed as well. They look really strong. I just think it's like it's a solid package. They've got it by by the looks of it. Uh, now, again, they have more upgrades coming like and that car may look a little bit different when the race one starts. But for now, I mean, they look solid at them. They, they, they do look really good. What about uh, racing bulls? I refuse to call them V carb uh, right now. I, I want to call them racing bulls. I think it's a cooler name. What's the uh, what's the deal? Yuki looked like he put in some fast times this morning. Daniel, or I guess yesterday for you, Daniel. Obviously, you said you were going head to head with Lando. The car, from some reports that I'm reading, is surprising people. Is that the team that we got to kind of watch this year? 
Yeah, I do. I, I think we do for sure. Uh, they've definitely made a step. Um, now, again, we, we talked about this on the podcast before, like how much of that, you know, IP is theirs, how much of it is coming from Red Bull. And we haven't heard from Zach Brown yet. Um, really looking forward to what he has to say about that whole thing, because those were the two cars that were actually really going at it on track on day one. And uh, I'm curious to hear his thoughts. But at the same time, when you look at the, the, the V-carb, I mean, it just, it, again, uh, looks really solid in the high-speed stuff. The low-speed stuff is a little little iffy, but the high-speed stuff, I mean, they looked really good. And Daniel Ricciardo looks incredible. Like, he's the fittest he's looked. And at the same time, I would say he's driving as as best I've seen him. Like, he looked really smooth on uh, day one out. I mean, he looked really strong. And again, this is a team that's, like, gone through some changes, right? Changes off track in particular, and they've got a new team principal now and Laura Meckes, and that has to be a whole new program that they've got to set up there. So I am fascinated to see how these next few days play out for that team. Well, it seems like, you know, a lot of people had written Daniel Ricardo off as he just doesn't have it anymore. And it's interesting, the, the, the role that confidence can play. You know, we talk about it. I, I hate to bring too much hockey into this because uh, uh, it's sort of what I'm known for with, you know, Steve and Jesse on the, on the network. And, and people watching this may not watch hockey, but uh, the Leafs had a goaltender, too, who got them to the second round this past spring. And this year went through some sort of loss of confidence. We're still not exactly sure what happened um, and was almost unplayable for like a month or two. And, and, you know, what we kept saying at the time was he didn't just forget how to be a really good goaltender. That didn't happen. Like, he didn't just lose all that skill. It's all between the ears. And, you know, so it's great to see Daniel Ricciardo confident because after, you know, the, the last year at Renault was better than I think people give it credit for. Um, and actually, I think the first year at Renault was better than people give it credit for. It just wasn't what Red Bull was doing. Um, and then those two pretty disastrous years at McLaren, I think um, – I think that uh, people forgot that this guy was a pretty spectacular driver who a lot of people pegged to win a world championship at some point in his career. Yeah, 100%. And it's good to see him back. I mean, it's good to see him back up to uh, form, I would say. And I think just, just the car in general, it just really does look like it suits what he likes to do. He likes to a, a pointy front end, some, something similar to what... You know, Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, those guys like. And I think if if the car characteristics are similar to, say, the RB19 or the the RB20 in a way, then I think, like, you know, Daniel could be in for, like, a really great season, Adam. Like, really great. That would be exciting. I'd love to see that. I think that I think the the F one world would be healing if he has a good year. Um, did any, did anybody show up unprepared? Do you think? Like I always think about that scene in Drive to Survive where Claire Williams is is like giving staring daggers through her team principal because as they you know haul pieces from the factory over you know in commercial air flights uh, to the track, you know did anybody look to to you like oh boy this is going to be a rough year? I would say, you know Williams did you know it was it was pretty rough day for Williams on day one. And again, same thing with Williams. They showed up to the track, uh, you know, late in terms of 
their full car concept. Like we didn't really see what that car actually looked like until they had a filming session the day before testing. So Tuesday. And so they were still putting that car together. And so for some of these other teams, like they've had a full car put together for quite a few days before that. Uh, for them, you know, it was a, it was a rough mm -hmm. go. You know, they had a fuel leak. Alex Albon had a fuel leak in his AM session. And then Logan Sargent had a massive spin um, down towards turn Saw nine, that. turn 10 yeah, in the afternoon. And that was from a, a drive shaft um, breakage. Now, how it got broke, I mean, I think it's probably because of the bumps that are in that section that snapped it in half. But that's why he had his incident but that ended their day they barely got any running in and that's not great for day one that's kind of one of those things where you want to run as much as you can in the first few days so you know where your reliability stands and then when you get to day three that's kind of when you start really pumping in the performances and seeing where you're at on that end of the spectrum and then on the flip side of that i would say haas that was a bit of a struggle for them um again new team principal ayo Kamatsu. And he's got his hands full there. Uh, again, that operation, we've been through it on this podcast, what they have to go through. And I, I think it's going to be a tough start to the season for them as well. But for their program, they're just focused on trying to figure out how to get this car in a better window for, for races. Oh, man. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, I read some of Bio Camazzo's quotes even leading up to this like him fully admitting car is not going to have a lot of performance and i just wonder at some point there somebody's going to have to be honest about the investment level but i get we'll leave that for another show i don't want to go deep <laughs> on that what uh what surprised me i think about the williams conversation is you know with james vowels there and the performances they had last year finishing higher than i think they have in the last half decade um I thought the days of unpreparedness at Williams were over. Um, and it could be because they're trying to do too much too soon. It could be because, because their factory and their equipment are old, which we know, and that they are going to get more and more investments as they get better. But, you know, we're still not quite there yet. What, what was it today? What do you think? I mean, it's a great point that you make, like trying to do too much too fast. And I think that's exactly what it is. It's it's a team that's really trying to turn around their entire program. They're trying to turn around their entire car concept. And you can't really do that at the in a year. It takes like years to get to that point where you can really make an aggressive change like Mercedes did and and really have it be successful mm -hmm. and be competitive on that front. And for for Williams, they've They've totally thrown away what has worked best for them in the past. But again, with that older car, very unpredictable for the drivers. So it's not filling you with confidence when you go to push it. Now they have a more stable platform, which is a step in the right direction. But again, Adam, like as a team, you've taken you know one big step backwards to try and go in another direction, two steps forward. So it makes it very challenging for the team to have to see it go back before it can go forward again. And that's exactly the spot that that team is in. Well, it's going to be an interesting day for you. And I know testing gets underway in a couple of hours, right around 2 a.m. Uh, uh, my time, I, I will be back to sleep at that point, I hope. Uh, but, uh, but Tim, you know, one of the things that we wanted to talk about, we got a real, really cool sneak peek at drive to survive. And 
Uh, we feel very fortunate that Netflix, you know, gave us some advanced copies on that. But, um, you know, the way they, they handle the show this year, and I think if you're a hardcore Formula One fan, there has been backlash to this show because it's like, oh, I brought in a whole bunch of new people who don't know anything about the sport. But that's, that's why it's been great, right? Uh, then the other mm-hmm. criticism was, oh, they've made up fake rivalries. And what struck me after watching the episodes is the, despite there being an absolutely historic, never seen before dominant season from one team, you see a little bit of Red Bull and Christian Horner at the beginning and nothing from Max and nothing from Sergio the rest of the way. That struck me the most is the absence of those guys. And I know it was a conscience, conscious choice by the team and specifically by Max. I wonder, Tim, if they haven't made a huge mistake because the series is really fantastic this year. And we'll get into some of the details of it. But I just felt like I want to get your opinion on it because it does feel like they missed an opportunity. This is a this is a well-produced, amazing series that could have changed, shifted, probably warmed up Max Verstappen's PR. And instead, it kind of comes across like he's missing the party. Yeah, it really did seem like they weren't the main focus of really much anything in this entire season of Drive to Survive. But like I, I, I'm curious to know because you know I don't really have this answer. But I'm curious to know if the the team just didn't allow Netflix to have as much access with Red Bull as they used to in the past, uh, and whether or not Max wanted to, you know, really participate. I mean. On on one front, like, you know, drivers do like their personal life to be their personal life. Like, we don't really get to see much of Fernando Alonso, even though there is a bit of an episode that's sort of dedicated to him as well. And so I think like on that front, I, I just think it's just they're just trying to like keep Netflix at bay a bit so they can just focus on trying to mm-hmm. win championships. Which... I mean, it makes sense. I, I, they're winning. <laughs> They've got a fast car. It's crazy. I think, um, fairly or unfairly, Max Verstappen has been, as most winners are, uh, cast as a bit of a villain. I think Lewis Hamilton was. I think Sebastian Vettel definitely was. Schumacher was to non-Schumacher fans. Um, you know, so it's not like this is unheard of in this sport. Um, but I think... Uh, I think it, it just, it was, it really struck me. I was like, man, this is a historic year, but there was so much other drama off of the track. And there's a few episodes that I want to point out directly. Like, I think the first one that really hit me, uh, was the breakdown of what happened. I think it's a two-parter with Alpine and Otmar Safnauer and, you know, what's interesting about that to me, Tim, is is the, it was actually Christian Horner's reaction to it. When he's talking to the new uh, Alpine boss in the hallway, he's like, oh, you're the new guy. And he's like, nice to meet you. And then he just kind of awkwardly stands there. And then they cut to an interview of him and he's like, um, well, uh, uh, they're a bit of a strange animal. Yeah, and I think like it's. Oh, oh you're frozen. I think I got you back. Oh, I got you. Did Am I? You? I lost. Okay, you. good. There we go. Got. Okay, got you. Got you. Got you. You got me? No. Great. Okay. Sorry. Where did you leave off? 
I was talking about uh, Otmar and Alpine and Christian Horner saying they're a bit of a strange, you know, Alpine Renault are a bit of a strange animal. Okay. They definitely are. I mean, I think when we kind of look at how that team is put together and, you know, it's something we've talked about. You have a team that's located in France building engines, and then you've got another team that's located in the UK building a race car. And so trying to marry those two things together, very difficult thing to do. And so when you when you look at it, it's kind of like you don't have everything under one roof, which is what you really want for a Formula One team. You want to try and have everything under one roof now to make things way more easier and streamlined. But, you know, I think for I think for uh, for, for the team and for for Otmar, he was I think he was really put in a difficult position, Adam, like just trying to to run that team and essentially be the fall guy. Well, yeah, and AT, he, I mean, he'd been there. I mean, over the course of his tenure, if you just look at it from the outside, uh, you'd see that he lost Fernando Alonso. Uh, you'd see that he lost Oscar Piastri. Um, now, Pierre Gasly is no slouch, but he's not Fernando Alonso. And then they don't have that amazing third driver who is now kicking their butts over at McLaren, right? So it's, that doesn't look good. And then they started last year and they had the, the double collision, I think, in Australia. And they had, uh, uh, you know, two DNFs in a row, double DNFs in a row, brutal. Um, but, you know, when you go behind the scenes, was it not the Renault Alpine board that said, well, we can't offer Fernando to your deal. Uh, and I do believe that the Oscar Piastri contract was signed before Otmar got there and Alpine's head of legal. And this is crazy. Cause I looked this up on Insta or uh, on LinkedIn, Tim, when it, when it happened, uh, their head of legal was removed a couple of months after Piastri signed with McLaren. Not kidding. I kept an eye on it. I was like, that's, that's something that their legal person should know. And, I noticed the job change and that wasn't really widely reported, but that's, she was, she was taken out. So, or at least she was moved on or she was, she resigned or whatever you want to call it. She's not there anymore. Um, and I feel like it wasn't enough time for that to be his fault. Does that make sense? Mm, totally. And I think when I say, you know, fall guy, you know, that's one of the things that I, I, I bring up, you know, a lot is that Fernando Alonso, contract renewal with with Alpine and um, the power struggle behind the scenes of trying to kind of get Fernando re-signed with Alpine and and I think Otmar is given instruction you know to maybe only give Fernando one year because Laura Meckes may not believe that he's good enough for another year maybe when he gets a little older he's gonna slow down and I think that was the fear from from um uh, for excuse me, Laurent Rossi. I called him Laurent Mekis. Uh, Laurent Rossi from behind the scenes. And that's so, right, Laurent Rossi. I, I, th I think like that's uh, a huge, huge part of, of all this. And I think like when we look at the episode, they do a good job of kind of like um, showing sort of the downfall of the team. But at the same time, you know, there are other reasons as to why you know Otmar you know got let go. And one of the reasons is is that. Renault and Alpine, they wanted to have this team being more competitive sooner and faster, streamlined faster. And you can't do it when you've got two separate factories. And I think that was one of the things for Otmar mm -hmm. was trying to convince them that, hey, we need to put everything under one roof. 
and this is going to take a long time because we're so separated. Has that uh, has that that been um, worked on since? Like, are they are they moving towards moving them all to Endstone or moving them all to France? No, <laughs> nothing. Really? Not no. yeah. Like they <laughs> okay. haven't. Okay. All right. They haven't. Let's... It's not really like yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You, you, okay. You, you know what these teams, man, like it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's always, it, it's always a challenge to try and, uh, help a team help themselves. And, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. when you have, you know, big owners, like a big ownership group, like Renault is, you tend to add them to have too many cooks in the kitchen. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, one team that I think can be accused of just that huge brand, probably the world's most recognizable car brand, that's Ferrari. Um, the conversation in the whole episode around Fred Vasseur taking over and the rivalry and the danger that Leclerc and Sainz put themselves in. I'd almost forgotten Monza last year, how eventful it was and how disappointing it was when Red Bull pulled ahead with just a few laps to go. Like, oh, it was like, how could you... Uh, how could you not um, get excited or romantic about a Ferrari win at Monza? Like very just, and you know, we had the McLaren win at Monza a couple years ago. It seems to be a track where special things happen. Um, But Carlos specifically um, watching him go out and win the Singapore Grand Prix after that in the series and what that meant for the team and him and Charles coming together. it, It kind of, it's just interesting now viewing it through the lens of, He's being replaced by Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> Episode six. Uh, leap, of, wild. leap of faith. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I loved yes. I loved that episode. I loved it. That was my favorite episode in this entire uh, season. I loved how they filmed the locals. I love how they went to coffee shops and they basically just got audio of yes. people being like, yes, Ferrari. And the other people saying like, F Ferrari. Like, what are we doing? We're bringing in yeah. a guy from France. Or to who's, run our who's team. this Fred Vasseur? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, that was my favorite episode. They did a great job with it. Uh, it for me, best episode of the season. Um, and I think for but basically tr- if you're going to tell sort of that true sort of storyline and story arc of a team throughout a season that's that episode and they nailed it on on all points right like if we go back and we talk about the two alpine episodes you know it was like well i mean there are a couple things they kind of did leave out but for 
But for this particular episode with Ferrari, they really captured the true thing from from start to finish, and they did a great job. And it and it shows, and it shows. It does, and you know it's interesting the way they handled this season, and they've handled a lot of seasons like this. Um, you know, when it, when it started, it was a lot more of a narrative storyline of like three teams, right? You you had Haas, you had. Um, Red Bull and, and, you know, those were sort of the two big ones in the first season, you know, Gunther Steiner's coming out party and Daniel Ricardo's big decision. That was season one, right? That was the really big sort of crux of the whole thing. And they followed that and followed that and followed that as the show's gotten bigger and it's had to, to incorporate all the teams um, to varying degrees. Uh, Sauber's never involved. They never, they never take part like Botas and uh, Joe Grand, you are not in this uh, very much. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think it's interesting looking at, uh, uh, the way they handled this year, because there are, there were defined storylines outside of Max Verstappen. So maybe it's a good thing that Max is, you know, they're, they want to focus on championships because, um, you had the McLaren, uh, storyline where they're starting at the back and then everybody knows what happened. They got better and better and better. And they were regularly on podiums by the end of the year and, and having Claire Williams come in. And talk about just how rare that is. Like you show up and your car is bad and, and you almost feel like, oh, my God, I'm going to be stuck in purgatory for the rest of the year. Um, and, the, and, and Zach Brown having to deal with the sponsors and getting that on camera. Yeah, that you know, the guy who heads up Google's marketing division going, you better give us some better results, man. The pressure that you feel for Zach in that moment, it's like, wow. Um, and I love the way so they kind of chop it up and handle it. I also want to say this, viewing the Lewis Hamilton Mercedes story through a, a lens of we know that Lewis ended up at Ferrari um, and, and his relationship with Toto and everything that's gone on there. What an episode that was, like yeah. actually gripping. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was really good. And it didn't seem staged when they did some of their sit down and chats. I mean, I think though. The only thing that really seems staged in like the Mercedes episode in particular, the only thing for me that felt like it was really staged was when Toto and Lewis were uh, sitting down in, um, oh, where were they? So they were, they were sitting down in, uh, in, um, in his Toto's office. office. Yeah. In a motor home. And yeah. that episode, episode six, uh, that was leap of faith. I think I screwed up the Ferrari episode. I think it was what, what was what was a Ferrari episode? Forza Ferrari episode eight. So my bad, everybody yes, who's listening. Yes, that's it. Um, that's it. Episode six. Episode six was the Hamilton one, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I liked it. I liked the behind the scenes stuff. I liked when George and and he were uh, driving around the Mercedes Project One car. Uh, and the film crew telling Lewis to kind of come back, come back. Like we need, we need to get you ready for this. Yes, shoot that was great. <laughs> and Lewis like wanting to like get going. Like, come on, guys, this is taking way too long. Like, I've got a lot of stuff to do. So I think like <laughs> in that aspect, like it gave us a good glimpse into like you know what, what these guys are, are are like, what that team dynamic is like, what that relationship between George and Lewis is like. Um, but I, I would say, Adam, like to go back to McLaren uh, episode three. I believe it was called under pressure that that was that was one of my favorite episodes as well and I and like you said when you know Zach's sort of sitting down and and talking with like the folks from you know Google and some of the other sponsors that he had at that table like that was a real conversation like they actually mic'd them all up and 
and they, you know, obviously they remove some things that they really didn't want us to see. But for the most part, like that was like a real sit down chat conversation, uh, meet and greet dinner sort of thing going on there. And there were real conversations happening there. And it was, it was great, man. I, I really, I really liked that episode. I liked how they did a great job of showing that relationship between uh, Zach Brown and Lando Norris. And I think one of the most important things that, you know, this team or Netflix, I should say, did or box to box films was string together the entire season of relationships. Every episode was was a relationship yeah. to each other in some form or fashion. I mean, there were a couple episodes that were just not very good, but there were some really great stuff because of that relationship sort of focus. And I thought like they did a great job of nailing that because, you know, behind the scenes, a big part of Formula One, Adam, is relationships. Oh, yeah, any business. But I mean, Formula One is, that's all they do is all they do is talk. The walls talk in Formula One. That's why there's so many rumors floating around. Yep. Yeah, 100%. And that that's why I just, I really, you know, I really, really like that episode as well. Um, and I don't know, I, I don't even know what your favorite episodes are. <laughs> like, I, didn't even, I, mean, well, I, I haven't I, even asked you yet. Obviously, like, the McLaren one was great. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Tim, da the insight into what happened with Daniel Ricardo, and seeing, you know, hearing you talk about how he was on the track today uh, or yesterday now, because it's twelve eighteen here. Um, uh, <laughs> hearing about how strong he was as a driver, you know, when you see Christian say to him, and I remember you text, you texted me this um, right around the time we were about to find out about Nick DeVries. You know, you you text message me something along the lines of his number, his his time at Silverstone would have put him on the front row with Max Verstappen. Yeah, and I remember being shocked by that, not because I didn't think Daniel was a good driver, but because I didn't realize the amount of progress he'd made to get back to himself over the last over that six month period. And seeing Christian say that to him, I mean. The Nick DeVries thing seemed unfair. It seemed at the time like, man, you just gave this guy no time to get, get started. That's how the team operates. But what was Christian Horner really going to do? You've got a guy who, if you put him in the Red Bull car on a one lap, can put himself next to Max Verstappen. What are you supposed to do? Let him sit? You kind of have to make that. It's like, yeah. it, it, this is Formula One. He's is, is there a better driver? Then that's our guy, especially a guy that knows their system so well. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, you know, when you you kind of look how that whole thing sort of played out and, and, and went down, I mean, I think for Ricardo, having the time off was important to him. And he does make mention to that. And it was sort of recharging the batteries for him because I did talk to him throughout this, that season last year. Like there were points where he and I actually like sat down like, I know we had Daniel on our podcast when we were in Mexico, yeah. but way before that, like I was sitting down with Daniel back in like Miami. So in May of that season, and you know, he would look like a different guy just because he had, he'd had some time away from everything and they did a good job in kind of showing that, but they could have showed it a little bit more because Having that time removed from Formula One gives you a different perspective when you come back, especially as an athlete, and especially as an athlete like like Daniel Ricardo. Like he was a different guy when 
when I saw him at the end of 2022 and spoken to him, and then when I saw him again in the May of 2023, and then when I saw him again mm-hmm. uh, throughout that season, he he was a different guy as that season sort of rolled along. You could just tell that he had been refreshed. He looked good, and he looked in good spirits. And that set him up nicely, I think, for this season that we're coming into now, 2024, to compete in and do well at, which he thinks he's going to. Um, I, I just uh, – I, I, I didn't – I didn't like the fact that they didn't show us much Nick DeVries. Like we were kind of promised like a bit right. of a Nick DeVries story. And we, we never, we never really got that. And it's kind of like, okay, well don't put something out there if you're not going to show it to us, because you know, a lot of folks might know, may not know. Like if you I go mean, we back got to him cleaning his apartment. Yeah, that's, that's it. Like if, if you go back to like 2022, <laughs> like he's, uh, he's he's put into the Williams in Monza and those two Williams cars, they weren't the same. Like, you know, Nicholas Satifi and, and Nick DeVries didn't, you know, have the same stuff. I mean, Alex was always getting the better equipment and, you know, Nick was put in the car at the right spot at the right moment and in the right set of circumstances. And you've got Christian Horner, you know, down at Red Bull and they see what he's doing and mm-hmm. they need another driver to fill in over at Alpha Tauri and they bring Nick over and they don't really show all of what happened with him there. And that's got me curious as to, you know, why not? Because that was a big story out him in the middle of the season. It absolutely was. Well, listen, you know, Tim, I think, you know, we can't, give away too, too much about Drive to Survive, but it is a, it's a pretty spectacular season. The drama is amazing. Um, and, and that's the great thing about Formula One is it, it, the drama is amazing and it continued after the season was done. And, you know, uh, we're looking at Lewis Hamilton's last year with Mercedes. We're looking at, does Daniel Ricciardo come in and get to the Red Bull big team? There's so many things to talk about. I know you got to get to the track. So I'll let you get showered up and go, my friend. Enjoy. <laughs> we'll be watching on social media. Very jealous of you. Uh, and uh, and enjoy the hot weather, too. It's not bad in Toronto, but it's not Bahrain. No, I mean, like, dude, actually, like, it's nice in, when you're in the sun here. But, dude, once the sun goes down, I was in my jacket and pants, bro. Like, it wasn't... Adam, it's, it, it was kind of cold here last night. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was. <laughs> it's... It is the desert. It's the way it goes. But listen, Tim, have a have an awesome time, buddy. And and uh, can't wait thanks, to man. see what you come back with. Yeah, thanks, buddy. This has been fun.